You are listening to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show, all about real estate edition. Shining a light on the movers and shakers in the real estate industry. The home builders, developers, realtors, and suppliers making it all happen. Good morning, and welcome back to Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio's All About Real Estate Edition. I'm your host, Carol Morgan, and I'd like to give a shout out to our new show sponsor, Denim Marketing. Denim is the market leader in creating quality, original content for social media, public relations, marketing campaigns, and blogging. Well, today I am pleased to welcome our next legend of real estate to the show. She is the first woman that we have interviewed, and she was the first woman to chair the Home Builders Association of Georgia. Um, Kay was a crusader for smaller volume builders, and as an industry leader, she worked tirelessly to create resources and business tools that were previously unavailable or cost prohibitive for smaller volume builders. One example, and one that we still use today, is the Homeowner Handbook. So kudos to Kay. I'm very happy to welcome to the show Kay Cantrell. Um, She started her career with Williams Brothers and then finished her career as founder and president of Cantrell Properties. Welcome to the show, Kay. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. I'm so glad you're here too, but let's just dive in and talk a little bit about how you got into the building business. Well, when I, my father um, ran Williams Brothers Lumber Company. And I was, I begged him at about 12 years old to let me start working for him uh, in the summer times. And um, he believed in people working. So I, it wasn't a real hard sell. And so I started going every summer. I rode with him, obviously, and um, was very interested in all the, the mechanism, the parts and the pieces that went into building. Because every afternoon as we headed home, he would drive through subdivisions and talk to his customers. And I would I would you know, sit there and listen to them talk and what was going on in the market and the housing and the problems they had with materials of getting them or quality of them or whatever. And they would talk about the economy of housing and it just, I just grew up on it. And um, I worked in a lot of different places there uh, in the company. And I just, it just, it really interested me the, the what, what goes together to make a house and how much it impacts a family or an individual of, in their whole life. So it, I think that's where it all started at 12 years old. Wow, at 12 years old. Well, I bet it was really interesting to grow up in the business because, I mean, Williams Brothers Lumber was a, you know, a force, you know. It was that. And then they started um, Williams Brothers Concrete and I worked there. Um, and most everything I did was in bookkeeping and that right. kind of stuff. I mean, I, obviously I wasn't out on the job sites delivering right. materials, but um, it, it was the learning of it, I think, re- contributed highly to my understanding as a businesswoman of how to make things. And my father was a natural, he was just a natural person of business. Mm-hmm. He was very, very smart. He wasn't terribly educated. He had one year of school when he was did a football scholarship, but he just wasn't a Great student, but he was a he was his, he had a great mind, mm-hmm. and he worked really hard, and he he connected, and I learned a lot from him, an awful lot. So I yeah. I, I appreciate his contribution to my success. Oh, absolutely. Well, what uh, positions did you hold while you were at Williams Brothers, and you know, lumber and concrete? Well, I just I you know I was a kid. I did whatever anybody wanted me to do, and um, I remember. 
we used to, they used to photograph invoices and they had me down in the basement, which now OSHA would have a fit because <laughs> it just had a little bit of concrete over the dirt. And I did a photocopy machine, which had that high volume of ammonia in it. So oh. you had to photograph every one, every single one of those invoices there for hours photographing. And I think about it now after dealing in regulation as a builder that, you know, how, how, much, how far we've all come. Because oh, that yeah. really, really wasn't very safe for me, but that's that's what everybody did. And that I was, of course, at the bottom of the rung of the ladder. So jobs nobody else wanted to do. That's what you did. And then I was I worked in bookkeeping with a concrete company. Yeah. One, one girl and I did all the bookkeeping. And um, the it, it was it was I learned a lot because I was always asking questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, what was it like being a woman in the building industry, you know, back in the day? Was it difficult? When I started building houses, uh, when we first started building as a company, uh, Jack did more of the the field work and I did more of the bookkeeping and designing. Mm-hmm. And I just, I drew our plans and that kind of stuff. But as one of the recessions that came in, Jack, um, had to go get another job. Uh, he he has a PhD in pharmacology. So he's a pharmacist. So he went out and worked in the drugstore and I went out and did the, the field work for the uh, company. And after that experience, I came back and said, I'm not going back. <laughs> At this point, computers had just come out. And I said, you can do all what I've been doing and I'm going to be out there because I think that's better suited to our uh, personalities. And he agreed. He wasn't a real gregarious person. So I got out in the field and worked all the subs and and got the house. It was so interesting getting to know. I actually got to know my subs Mm -hmm. and used a lot of them over and over because we developed a relationship of quality and I treated them with respect, which many builders I watched did not. Mm -hmm. And so I, it it gave a lot of loyalty for me. And um, it was just, it was, it's like herding cats, but but it was um, it was an exhilarating business, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And some of the best times of all was when you go to a closing and the homeowners hugs your necks and tell you made your dream, you made their dream come true. Now that's awesome. That is so awesome. That, you know, that was good feelings. Yeah. Well, so at what point did you leave? You know, Williams Brothers and start Cantrell Properties. Oh, I was still a kid when I left William. When I left yeah. Williams Brothers, you know, and um, by this point, I have two children. So, you know, I've got to take care of, I've got to take care of a family. So, yeah. Um, but I, I did some things for him at home and take it back and forth. And then, um, like I say, we got in the building business and uh, never looked back. Yeah, absolutely. Now, back. were you building and developing? After I built for some years, then I got into development, but we couldn't find lots. Cobb County had a shortage of lots. Nobody had any lots. Um I had an opportunity. Um, my father called me up and said, I've been called up by a friend of his that wants him to, to help him co-sign to, to develop a subdivision. He said, um, I'm thinking about doing it so that you can learn how to develop because I know y'all are short a lot. I said, that's a great idea, Dad. So uh, gentleman and I did the, the subdivision together and I learned from him by being there all the time and working wow. with him how to develop. And it was a it was a 50 lot subdivision. It wasn't a real big one. But we learned and um sometime we you know built through that subdivision. I end up going and buying some land and, and building, developing it in phases 
And uh, I built it. And at that point, Jack had bought some wallpaper Atlanta stores. And so he re- he did our bookkeeping and ran the stores and I did the building out in the field and the developing. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got to go through the same process and put the same things in place for 50 lots that you have to put in place for 500 lots. Uh, you do. So, you do. yeah, just it, maybe. It, it was it was it was all the same process. Right. You know, getting to know your subs, making sure you have quality subs. I, mm-hmm. I didn't want somebody that was just trying to do a halfway job. I wanted a quality sub I could afford right. and it would that would work and that I worked with them and they worked with me. And that seemed to work mm-hmm. um, for us. Yeah. Well, what year did you start Cantrell Properties? And uh, 84. What, 84. And what did you all specialize in? You said it was not it was entry level, home. just so like a single Well, it family. was like move up buyers. It was okay. like somebody that would be buying there. Uh, at that point, we were probably building... Um, it's all relative to time. If I told you we were building uh, eighty and ninety thousand dollars houses, you'd think, "Well, those were entry level," but they were. They were right. move up, right? You know, the first move up. And when I did Loring Square, we were building homes right around oh, one hundred and twenty five, one hundred and fifty. Uh, that was a move up buyer. Right. So um, the last homes I built were were up in the five, six, seven hundred. Right. Um, that was a uh, wasn't the most expensive, but obviously it wasn't. It's you know two or three move up buyers. But right. we never specialized in that entry level. Um, that's more, that's not as hands-on kind of building. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to be able to produce those products, they really have to run it differently than what I ran my business. Yeah. And I just wasn't interested in that. I wanted to have the ability for them, but I wanted to deal with my customers. I wanted to um, draw my own plans, put out different plans. We, we, typically would have five or six plans going in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, then if somebody came in, I had people come in the trailer at the subdivision and they'd say, I want to buy a house. And I said, what do you want? And they'd say four bedrooms, two and a half baths. I said, well, you hadn't told me anything. I said, let's go, <laughs> let's go back in here. And, my, and I had a little room at the other end of the trailer with a French door on it. And I said, come on back here. And I'd start pulling plans and we'd start going through, what do you do on Saturday? What do you do on Sunday? How do you mm-hmm. live your life? And it didn't take long that I could pull plans and for long, we had a, the framework of, of a house for them. And then we would, they would want to alter different things. And then, you know, Jack would do the estimating. We had estimating yeah. software and, and a soft plan software for a while. I grew them and then we started using the software, but, um, and they would say, well, I want two fireplaces. And I would say, well, just so you're aware, each fireplace is going to cost you about 2,500 pounds. Oh, okay. Well, once <laughs> you try to give them right. some kind of rent because otherwise, when Jack priced it, it would just blow them away, and that would be the end of it. Right. We tried to keep it so they understood that a lot of things they wanted to add to it, the round numbers of what it would cost them to do that. So that way, they they got closer to picking and choosing they wanted when money came in. Everybody yeah. wants everything when there's no. Correct. Yeah. Well, you know, that's so smart. So you were really, you know, working through lifestyle before lifestyle became the big hip thing, right? (laughs) Figure out how they lived and what lifestyle they wanted. And then they were giving them some parameters of, yeah, sure, we can do that, but it's going to cost X, which, you know, so you're helping them to hone in on what's really important to them. I, I just found that if I didn't get, if I didn't pull them in and get them in such a situation of whatever their dollar was and not 
you know, to the dollar, but in the parameters of it and what they wanted in it, then we wouldn't be successful because the price would come back bigger than they wanted to spend. But it's because they kept adding participles all over it. You know, right. You have to keep your ornaments down to where you can afford them. And so I would try to to find out what things they really were important to their lifestyle. Right. And um, or another thing, you know, everybody loves porches, but porches cost the same thing, except for the heating and air that a house does. You still got a roof, you still got a floor, you know. And so you we I would give them just round numbers of things and it it helped it helped them be realistic from the day one. Right. And we had a better chance of yeah. meeting their expectations. You're absolutely right. And people don't think about it. I just built a three-car garage with what I call a veranda. So it's really just yeah. a covered porch, right? And um, and it's really funny, you know we really didn't sit down and discuss as many things as we should up front. And I think my builder was really thinking garage when he quoted it, right? Let me tell you, I think (laughs) I might have as much an electrical in that garage, you know, today in 2022, as I did an electrical cost in this house when we built it in 2003. It's I, I, I have the invoices, but I dare not compare, but you know, part of that is just everything's so much more expensive, but, um, but yeah, you can go hog wild. So yeah, you can do whatever you want to do, but there's a cost to all of it. That's so. what we tried to, to, one of the things that I think home builders, I was involved in an officer in home builders for years, is how do we set our customers' expectation mm-hmm. so that when we get to the end of it, they got what they expected to get. Right. And we delivered what we could deliver. And that's how I came up with, with several of us with the homeowner handbook. Right. Is how, you know, if you look at a lot of things, you as a builder need to help control their expectations. So what they end up with, they're happy with because it performed like they thought it would. Right. Yeah. And maybe if, you know, it also is within the budget that they wanted to spend, you know, so. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, it seems like you and Jack had a really good, you know, kind of yin and yang as far as, you know, complimenting each other. Was it challenging working with your husband? Talk a little bit about that. No, not really. Um, we Our thought processes are very similar, but our personalities are very different. He's more outgoing now as an older gentleman, but as a we were coming along to him, he's very quiet, mm-hmm. very introverted, but very brilliant. He's he's the bright one of, the, of, of our relationship. And I was the um, one that went and got things done. I, that's you know, you, you spend a lifetime figuring yourself out. And mm-hmm. I have come to the conclusion that the gifts that God gave me, one of them is facilitating. Mm-hmm. I do very well in making things happen. That's why I've been trustee at the church for four years. Right. Is I make things. And that's that's my gift is right. be able to put people together to create whatever it is you need to get done and make it happen. And um, he's more about um, he's real good. He was re- he got an MBA, some real good with the numbers of, you know, analyzing things. And we would sit and talk about direction. How, how should we go? You know, look at how many houses we built this year. What do we anticipate next year? And we tried to do all of it in a business type situation. And you always wonder when you see people go off the rails, did they stop and think about if you built, doesn't even really matter, 100, 500, 50, 10 houses in a year. Did you think the next year you could build... 10 times that many and all the last 10 years, you'd only built this many. I mean, you have to think through those things to come up with a plan that works year after year. 
Yeah. And you've got to have a plan. You know, what do they say? I, um, well, it's just like going on a vacation. You know, you don't know how to get there without a map. You know, well, my, you, you don't. I tell my grandchildren, if you don't know where you're going, any road will do. Right. And exactly. I think that's a life. I think that's a life saying. If you don't know where you're going and you have no, I mean, you can't plan everything. Life has a way of dumping at you, you know, changing it. But you have to have a plan to know where you're going. And then when a, you get a roadblock, then you can make a new plan and go yeah. in another direction. But you got to have some kind of idea of where you're going. Well, you know, it's all about, you know, you have uh, challenges. I like to call them opportunities along the way. And you've <laughs> yes, got to make that decision of what to do next. So, yeah. 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 Well, you've certainly seen some ups and downs in the building industry. Um, you know, any advice for the builders out there building, you know, today on, you know, with all the interest rates and you've seen way higher interest rates. Yes, I have. Um, we built during the, the 20 when it was 20%. Yeah. Woo. Um, another piece of advice my dad gave me who was as well, never spend your seed money. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, you know, don't use your seed corn. You always got to have money to, to start again and you can't throw it all to the, I know a lot of a lot of people got in trouble back in the past because banks would loan them money that they thought that was great. They could borrow money. But um, you need to be running your business and you need to look at if you do, what does this do? And if the houses don't sell, what what happens? Right. You've got to stay in control of yours because mm-hmm. um, they aren't as big a friend when when the interest comes due and you can't pay it. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not at all. We definitely saw that in what, 2008, 9, 10. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and of- I got calls all the time. People want to loan me money. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I have, you know, two or three banks and that's who I deal with. And, and I'll keep you in mind. But yeah, I didn't need to borrow any more money because I, pl- I was working my plan. Yeah. And I think sometimes people get, um, they feel like it's that the banker is saying, oh, well, we think you're wonderful and you're a wonderful builder. Let's, you know, we, we won't loan you more money. And you say, oh, wow, I'm special. Mm-hmm. And you just have to not get into any of those things. You have to keep going back to the paper and building your plan and then working your plan. Yeah, don't overextend yourself for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you speed your, your seed coin. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, talk about um, your involvement with the Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association. I understand that you were the first chair of government affairs. Well, I don't, I don't, actually, I can't, I couldn't tell you. I was first woman. Okay. Um, we had, I was, when I came to, I was in the women's auxiliary and all we did was <laughs> we, we would work the, the um, oh, I just lost the word. Um, when they do the the shows for the houses, you know. Right. Yeah. The home shows. Yeah. Home shows. I couldn't mm-hmm. think. And so we would go and make, we would do the, they usually had some food thing and we would serve food to the public and we would, you know, take money and, you know, all those kind of jobs. Well, it didn't take long. I was secretary, I mean, treasurer, I think. And finally, one day I said, this is not working for me. And I talked with Connie, actually, Connie, I've been <laughs> for a long time. And I said, I want to, I'm going to get on the ladder. I want to be, I want to be, I want to make things happen. I don't want to sit here and serve cookies. I want to make things happen. That's why I'm here. And uh, so I, I got in government affairs and then became the chair. of government. And then that gave me a seat on the board because mm-hmm. women were not on the board at all. And so I got a seat on the board and, um, Worked my way into, the, got asked to be on the ladder and worked my way through the ladder and spent two years as president um, in 95 and 96. And um, then uh, went from there straight to the state and was elected to the state. And they still don't have another woman. Yeah. 
They don't? Nope. Wow. So you've been the only female president of HBAG, so Home Builders yep. Association of Georgia, in all these years. Oh, we need we need to remedy that. That's 60, 70 years. Yeah. That's a long guess, time. Maybe 75 years. I can't remember now. Wow. Time, time as you age just sort of gets mushed up. And it goes too quickly. It goes very all down the hill. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Well, that's interesting. Um, you know, Connie Bernie's, you know, our mutual friend, and she told me that you would have been the one that jumped on the bandwagon, started professional women in building, you know, got it going, would have been the main cheerleader. But you know, you figured out how to work the system, you know, in your day, in your way, you know, with well, I wanted to make a difference. And so I figured out how I do that. Yeah. Uh, Back then we had well, we they still have. Uh, but most everybody was a chapter president before they were president right. of Atlanta. And so I was a Cobb County president and got involved in all, you know, on all kinds of committee meetings at the county. I went in one day and I had this fur vest I wore every winter and it had great big pockets because you cannot take a purse around in a job site. I'm no, you can't. No. So I had a wallet that I stuck in my, in my um, pocket in my I had, a, like I say, it was a fox vest, kept me warm, kept my arms open, and I wore it every year. So I came into a meeting, and the head of planning and zoning looked up and said, well, there's Kay with her fur vest. I said, I am up here too much, if y'all know my wardrobe. <laughs> Instead of being out in the subdivision getting more houses built, says, you know, I already figured y'all out. You, you, get, you do meeting after meeting after meeting for some regulation, and when we quit coming, you pass it. They said, oh, you figured us out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not so, uh, it's not so the, different today. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> I don't think worse. government changes too much. No, mm-hmm. really doesn't. So um, but you gotta be at the table. You yeah. Know, you oh, absolutely. It, absolutely. It helped a lot when we got in situations that something went awry. I, I knew all those guys. I could go in and say, you know, tell me how we solve this. Tell me how we, you know, we both win. I always found. I was building a commercial building in Covington, and of course, you have to work with a fire marshal there. Mm-hmm. And I was working with this fire marshal. Built, I had remodeled a couple of things, and we had we had we'd met each other, and I dealt with him some. His name was Stony, and so I I said, Stony, I don't want to I don't want to put the the um, doors over there, and I don't want to put the the uh, lever over here. And I said, What if I did this? And I gave him an alternative, and he said. If you'll do that, if you'll put those doors upstairs, because they can walk out three ways on the first floor, if you'll put those fire doors upstairs so that at least that is shut off, then I'll let you have this open for you. Awesome. And so we just, we we, we would negotiate back Mm -hmm. and forth of how I kept the design looking nice for the customer, but we had fire safety for for the people that were working there. Well, sometimes you just have to ask. Yeah, and I just found by treating everybody with mm-hmm. great respect, I didn't have much trouble. Right. Yeah, you know, if I could see their side and try to help them have a win, I would have a win. Mm-hmm. But if I tried to have it all my way, it wasn't going to work. So you look for the ways you can give them that you could give up. Right. And that's that's sort of the way I did it all through subs and regulation and all that stuff. It's great advice. It's you know great advice for anyone within any everybody's got to win. Everybody's got to win. Yeah, that's fantastic. Crafting the perfect marketing strategy is like constructing the perfect pair of jeans. You need all the right components and expertise. 
Unlike trying on a dressing room full of jeans, denim marketing makes the process painless and easy. Denim marketing is the market leader in creating quality original content for home builders, developers, remodelers, and others in the industry. Call 770-383-3360 or email carol at denimmarketing.com to find out how denim marketing can be a comfortable fit for your social media, public relations, marketing campaigns, email marketing, blogs, and other marketing needs. Well, talk a little bit about what you accomplished um, in your years of service at the HBA. What are you most proud of? The homeowner handbook. Oh, yeah. The homeowner handbook. Um, we started using it immediately as we finished it. And um, it just saved so much frustration and unhappiness by homeowners and me. We made it, we used the part, I don't know that all builders use it to its best. We, uh-huh. we had an addendum on our contract, which made it part of the contract. We, they signed a paper that they had read the book before they, when they signed mm-hmm, the contract, because mm-hmm. we gave them one during negotiation. Right. We wanted them to read that book, especially the first eight pages, which was our right. warranty. Uh-huh. And we wanted them to understand that that's what we would do. Right. And um, it saved a lot of harassment of, People all of a sudden thought something didn't work right. And we'd say, refer back to your homeowner handbook. Mm -hmm. And usually that was in them. And, you know, there's the age old problem if they think something's a warranty issue just because they don't understand home maintenance. You know, maybe they've never had a home before. They've never had a home that had this specific aspect. And so all of a sudden everything's the builder's fault when it's really that they should have maintained whatever it was. They should have cleaned the gutters. They shouldn't have had shrubs planted so close to the house that, I mean, you know, there's a million different things. People just don't know. You you think about, you know, talk about an imperfect science, you know, building a house, the number of subs involved, all the materials involved. I mean, it's really putting together a giant puzzle and getting it as close to perfect as you can. And it's, there's a lot that goes involved, you know, into it and a lot that can go wrong. So. And the, and the um, products perform differently. Yes. A lot of times the homeowner, for instance, concrete. They don't understand that concrete's going to crack. Yep. And, you know, Humber Handbook, I was extremely proud of. As you should and then be. Then we started um, <laughs> the Certified Builder. Uh-huh. And um, I had a meeting one day, and it was, we had 400 builders there. It was one wow. of the most exciting. And that's when we introduced um, the Certified Builder. Right. Um, Pam Session was the president of the year they actually made it all happen, but we started it back when I was president. Yeah. And, um, you know, so did it because they, they wouldn't do uh, uh, builder licensing through the legislature. That wasn't going anywhere. Right. So we decided, you know, the builders were frustrated, wanting to distinguish themselves from people who were not as professional. Right. So the, yeah. the builder came into view. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, that's pretty exciting. You know, two of the programs that you pioneered and started, you know, are still around today. You know, I don't know how, what year was the homeowner's handbook? Do you remember what year it came out? Yeah, it came out in 96. I think it was, it was, okay. I was still, I was president. Yeah. That's and exciting. We, I worked on it those two years. I was yeah. yeah. Well, so what's been the most rewarding part of your career overall? I think the um, relations and the fact that I created homes for people. Mm-hmm. You know, a home is an important place where your life 
moves in a lot of different directions. And the fact that an awful lot of people, thousands of people I presented a home to mm-hmm. for them to, to have their life in. Um, so that was always really important to me. And it was wonderful. All the friendships I've made along the way. I know mm-hmm. one, one time I was in that subdivision and I was talking to my loader operator and I said, Billy, I want to save this dog. When we're going to, you know, we're going to do a slab because of the lay of the land. And I want to take out these trees, but I won't leave these trees. He says, Kay, you can't keep that dog. It's old and it'll, it's not going to make it. I said, you let, you did, you're going to, you're going to keep the dog with That's how we're going. <laughs> and I said, because what I can feature is somebody, it was right in front of this window, big picture window, which was the dining room. Uh-huh. I said, we're going to do a curvy sidewalk and I'm going to be showing this house and somebody's going to look out that window and I'm going to say, can you imagine having, Easter here yeah. with that dogwood blooming. And that's how I sold the house. Mm-hmm. The lady and that lady and I were standing there and it was full bloom. And I said, can you imagine having your Easter lunch here? And she said, sold. Grin, and, <laughs> and they end up writing a contract on the house. I think you have to romance a house mm-hmm. because it is a home. Mm-hmm. It's not just sticks and stones. It's where emotions of grief and, and celebration and everything go on. Yeah. It's important in people's lives, no matter what it is. Did you build mainly in Cobb County? Is that accurate? I built, the majority was in in Cobb County. Um, I built a little bit in North Fulton. I built, we built in Gwinnett when uh, Jack was running the uh, field part and I was doing the bookkeeping we built in Gwinnett, but we moved over um, to Cobb and I I got to know everybody in Cobb. So it really made it easier to build. Bill. And then I did the last five years I did or seven years I did commercial work because the housing industry had gotten soft again. And I was able to get into my dad asked me to come build a bank for him. Oh, wow. And one thing led to another. And so I built a whole bunch of stuff. And it was fun. It was, it was, it was terribly fun. Um, and it was also another one of those milestones of going into the counties. I did Rockdale, Newton, and Henry. And going in these counties that were just really moving fast, they were just on fire uh-huh. and building these, these banks. I actually built some doctor's buildings for some people and just, you know, like commercial, oh, wow. uh-huh. but, but no woman was in it. Right. And so it was back to another trailblazer. It was fun. <laughs> and um, having to make all those relationships in those, in those county offices and city offices, um, you know, had to start all over again. And I had to get different subs because they wouldn't travel that far. So it was like starting all over, but it, um, I built a, a 30,000 square foot main branch. For, well, it, was, it, it was their, their um, offices. It was their corporate center. I built the corporate center. And that was a lot of fun designing yeah. it. Jack and I designed it, gave it to, I found an architect that would draw plan, take my plans and then put them and make all the fire codes and make sure mm-hmm. that, you know, because I had to have a stamp. Yeah. And, um, so he would, he, and so we would, you know, we would make that go because architects sometimes make it more difficult. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, it just seems like that all throughout your career, you had lots of opportunities that you, you know, jumped on and finessed and with your um, facilitation skills and your relationship building skills, you were able to, you know, work them and make new friends and get the projects done. It was, it was a great life. It really was. It was a great life. It gave back a lot. Mm-hmm. and um, had good business, and um, I feel comfortable at this place in my life of 
the things that I feel like I gave back and yeah, I hope the world's a better place because I helped somebody have a, have a good home to be able to have their life in. Well, I think you helped some people to have a good home as well as helped some home builders to have a better business with the home builders handbook and streamlined that for both the homeowners and the home builders so that there wasn't, you know, they took, it removed the question marks. Yes. I and mean, what so. we wanted to also to, to narrow the liability to build. Correct. We, we had huge liability. Yeah. That was another thing is we talked about it and, and went through it of how we do it. Yeah. Was to try to narrow that liability by, by saying, this is what I'm going to do and this is how it's going to perform and making it part of your contract so they knew it before they signed on the dotted line. Right. They didn't have they didn't have too much to sue you over. Right. So yeah. that that helped the builder um you know, even the playing field a little better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so if you leave it all blank, anybody can come up with anything they think I'd ought to do. Absolutely. Well, reflecting over all the different communities and homes you built, do you have a favorite community or a favorite home from, you know, all those years? I built a home in East Cobb uh, in a subdivision I developed. That was probably one of my favorite houses. I did a flying stairway and um, I we had gone on vacation, the two of us. For, I'd given Jack for his birthday a trip to um, Bermuda. And we stayed in this little place right off the, the uh, waterway um, and took a uh, ferry across it to go to the you know, eat and different things. And in this hotel, they had these windows with a circular uh, stair and the way they stacked up and moved around. Uh, but they were, they weren't all glass around it. It was individual windows that were stacked together. It just had such a great look. And so I said, because hmm. anytime we traveled, I was always looking for design ideas. And so we, we, that's what we built. We built, we built, we moved about every two and a half years. Mm-hmm. We moved a lot. And um, so we, we, I built this house, designed this house, and I wanted to make it to look like Charleston. So I took all these pictures of Charleston and came up with a house that had the, the feel of, of the old. That's and neat. it was just, it was a fun house. I, I, I loved it. And the one I built in Covington, I love the plan. I, I love that plan. So we did a lot of, you know, individual things. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I love that. Well, what advice do you have for any women looking to get into the building industry today? I would just say that be real careful to protect yourself and keep, as, as the old saying is, keep your, your seed corn. So don't let yourself mm-hmm. try to, to, to do so much that you stretch yourself financially. Um, used to, when I was coming along uh, early in my career, bankers were your mentors. Mm-hmm. They would sit down with you and say, well, I, I think really two houses really all you ought to start out with. You know, if those two, if one of those sells, then we'll do two more. You know, and they would help not get you overcommitted. As I finished, bankers would, would loan you four, 10, 20 to anybody. And I served on a bank board for 10 years and was on loan committee. And I kept telling the guys in 2003 and four, this thing's coming down, guys. Mm-hmm. And these builders you've got are going to be in trouble. And they said, no, and they were building entry level. You know, at that point, it was they were 80 and 90 and $100,000 housing, which was entry level um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And was well, early 2000s. And I said, I'm just telling you, I'm looking at they're moving. They're they're bringing cash in, but they're not making money. Right. 
There's a difference. And I yeah. said, these guys aren't making money. If they quit selling, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And um, I just kept telling loan committee, I thought, I know I'm raining on all y'all's parade. And I know you don't want to hear that because you want to make the loan. But I'm telling you that, you know, I, this is what I see going to happen. And I kept, you know, so the um, the bank was end up being bought by Synovus and they collapsed the, chap, the charter and it became Bank of North Georgia. So the board dissolved. But at the last meeting, which was in 2000, no, it was 2005. They all said, we have come to the conclusion that you were right. (laughs) And I said, well, I could just see it. I've been there too many times and and Uh the ups and downs of recessions in the building industry. And this was, is going to happen. I could see it was going to happen. And the poor builders didn't need to be loaned any more money. No. If they couldn't figure it out by themselves that we should protect them. And one of the guys said, but that's not our business. Our business is to make loans and make fees. And I said, I don't care. I think you have a moral responsibility. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. So, you know, you were thinking that from the banking perspective. At the same time, I'm watching all these people buy $500,000 houses that I'm like, how on earth do they make enough money to buy this house? I certainly wouldn't, you know, want to have that much debt. And, you know, then start hearing about these interest only loans. And I'm like, this can't be going anywhere good. Right. So you saw it from one side. I saw it from the other side. And then boom, everybody saw it. Right. I I was wearing, you know, the days we had loan committee, which was every two weeks, I wore the banker hat. But I could also feel where the builder was. Mm -hmm. I knew where the builder was. And he he was losing sight. He was he was being seduced. Right. By getting more loans. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was saying earlier about don't, don't allow the banks to seduce you because they're in it to make the fees. Yep. They're in it to make money. And Absolutely. so, you, you know, you used to, they were more protective of you. They're not anymore. And it's become more competitive. And you don't have all the little small banks that protect you like they used to. So you've got to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't let your, don't let yourself get over your skis. Right. Oh, absolutely. Because it's I, that would be my best advice is not yeah. allowing yourself to go over your skis because it can happen real fast. Don't extend yourself. Yeah, Don't it's great you. advice. Well, anything else you want to add? We've covered a lot today, but any final thoughts? It's it's a great industry. I I loved it. I enjoyed it. Um, it's hard. It's a <laughs> real hard industry, and I have a feeling it's even harder than it was when I was building. I've been out of the business since 2005 and haven't really participated in any way. So I, but just the things I hear and going to meetings, I've seen that it's even gotten harder in regulation and banking and all the things, but you should do it because you love it. Mm -hmm. If if, if you don't, if you don't go to work every day and glad you're going to work, then find something else to do. It's too risky not to love it. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. And it's not a get rich quick business. No, it's not. There's people that make money. There's, I'm not saying they don't because we made money. But you, and, and the reason we got out of the business is we sat there on five and said, okay, do we crank back up a residential market? Because the commercial had gotten soft. So, okay, do we crank back up a residential and get back hard at that or not? And we finally decided that we did not want to risk everything we'd spent our lifetime making anymore. Right. And that we would just sit on the sideline. I had several people say, you know, you really are missing, you know, everybody's, making money handling fish, you're missing out. And I said, yeah, but at the end of the day, I'm going to have mine. Right. Yep. And at the end of the day, I have a lot of friends who lost their houses. 
Yeah. 65 years old with no house. So I said, we made the right choice. Yeah, absolutely. You did. Well, for any of our listeners who want to reach out to you or contact you, is there an email or a phone number you want to share? Um, I have an email, uh, kcantrell at comcast.net. I don't do Facebook. Right. I choose not to be in that in that um, industry of <laughs> being out there. Yep. We, we just sort of travel incognito of just living our life and, not, and sharing it with people personally. Enjoying uh, that retirement and living yes. living the dream in person. There's nothing yes. wrong with that. And so I I don't get out there, but um, but the that's my email. I'm more than glad to. Oh, yeah. I don't so, know at my age that anybody wants any advice from me, but well. Um, you know, you've got lots of words of wisdom. So I think there may be some people out there that want to, you know, give you a, a shout out. Well, so thank, thank well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing a little bit of your dad's story and, you know, telling us about Jack and your relationship in the building industry. It's been really a lot of fun. Well, thank you. It's, it's, it's been a great life. Yeah. Well, congratulations for that. And thank you for all of your contributions to the Home Builders Association, because it would certainly not be what it is today without you and your leadership. Well, just trying to do my part. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And I'm going to say that wraps this week's Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio's All About Real Estate Edition. I'd like to thank Kay Cantrell of both Williams Brothers initially and then Cantrell Properties um, at the end of her career for joining me in studio today and imparting all of her wisdom. On behalf of our show sponsor, Denim Marketing, I'm your host, Carol Morgan. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to iTunes and give us a positive rating and review. If you would like to listen to more shows, you can download them and subscribe for free on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you're interested in being a guest on today's show, contact me at carol at Denim Marketing um, to find out how you can participate. And with that, thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you right here for our next episode. Today's episode was made possible by Denim Marketing, the publisher of Atlanta Real Estate Forum, Atlanta's favorite real estate blog, and source for real estate news, trends, new home communities, model homes, builders, and more. Denim Marketing is a comfortable fit, like your favorite pair of jeans. Denim Marketing tailors marketing strategies to meet your specific needs and niche. Try them on for size. They will work to create a perfect fit for your company's marketing program. Call them at 770-383-3360 or send an email to info at denimmarketing.com. For more information on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio or to inquire about being a guest, contact info at atlantarealestateforum.com. Check out the radio show by visiting atlantarealestateforum.com or by listening to the show on your podcast or iTunes app. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, we'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show.